Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Steady Lads. We have some really exciting topics to go through today, plus a new segment at the end. So we're curious to see in the comments what you guys think about it. Uh, so as usual, I have with me Taiki, the humble farmer. I have uh, Justin, the head of Astaria. And I have Tiki, who is the uh, busboy at Scimitar Capital, um, hoping for a promotion, hopefully soon. So yeah, there's a lot to get into. Uh, Justin, where do you want to kick off? Let's talk Shibarium. I think that's where we ended uh, episode three. Thicky, what what's going on over there? I've seen some seen some crazy stuff on Twitter. I think there's a ton of ETH stuck in a bridge. From what I heard, is is Shibarium dead on arrival? What's what's going on? Yeah, I think I think Shib is pretty dead. Um, I can give kind of a recap of what's happened since last week, um, story wise. So the Shib conference was um, they've so they they sponsored the blockchain futurist event in Toronto. Uh, on the 15th to the 16th in the days leading up to the conference, like ships pumped, maybe, you know, 30, 40%, but Voyager, um, who had maybe $15 million worth of ship started selling all of their spot. They just transferred, you know, two or $3 million clips in the Coinbase, and, you know, very much like, you know, stifled the pump, pushed it back down 10%. So we went, when we led up into the initial, so there were, there were two days, right? Um, the first day, Shaitoshi Kusama, who is like the lead dev of Shibarium, <laughs> was giving a talk. And it was kind of hype, you know, price built up like 6 7%. Who is this? Shaitoshi Kusama. Shaitoshi Kusama. Okay. He's, um, I think the backstory is that he's one of the co-founders of SHIB that actually held on to all their SHIB and then dumped it at the top and like is worth like a few billion dollars now. Wow. What a god. <laughs> Oh my god, he's completely anonymous, but he is doxxed. So, like, yeah, his, his name's like Nema. He like lives in LA. And you were you in person? You went to this conference to see them speak at the or what happened? Were you were you streaming it? I, I was streaming it. Yeah, I, I wanted to go. I was I was really heavily considering making a trip out to Toronto just to watch it. But I'm glad I did it. You know, the, I don't know if you saw some of the talks. They were like very very cringe. No, I, I missed the talks. Um, I will. I'll pull up a few things we had uh, to share, though. Uh, so this is the ship chart. Um, so you can see sort of a, a like a broader sell-off here, and um, it looks like I, I don't know. Thinking maybe this number is not up to date, but as of this tweet, about one point seven million dollars worth of ETH stuck in the bridge. What what's happening there? Is it permanently stuck? Do you think they'll be able to recover it? Any insight with that? I need to confirm, but I think it's permanently stuck. There is this even funnier one with a picture of Shaitoshi himself in a Telegram chat, and he was like, "Guys, I fucked up. All the ETH is stuck in the bridge." <laughs> yeah, I think we have that one here. Uh, this was actually going to be my tweet for a new segment, but yeah, it's it's absolutely hilarious. It looks like this is like a Snapchat message or maybe just something from Telegram. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not not great. Um, so, yeah, are you out of ship? Like, what's what's your plan there? Yeah, my plan is to, I'm still in my short. I, I was in and out all week. I, I shorted also when they had a hyped announcement and ended up just being Shaitoshi announcing his book deal, like 44 <laughs> tenants of crypto trading. Yeah, it, it was very hype, <laughs> but yeah, it ended up being just a book deal that he was shilling. Um, wow. I, I think I'm going to hold it to zero, like like legitimately hold this thing to zero. I, I think with Shibarium gone, like Shiba is just, you know, completely dead. Like I actually think the exchanges are going to delist it and, that's what I, that's my target. And you're and you're holding to zero because you're into wow. the FinDom 
stuff yourself or <laughs> you're, you're just a committed bag holder? Oh, I forgot to, I forgot to uh, say, uh, yeah, I flipped short um, after the podcast last week. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Like, you know, I told you I was long, but as soon as the podcast ended, I flipped short. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. There, there Cemetery there. capital, man. <laughs> I'm curious to get people's thoughts on like meme coins in general, because right now, like there's Pepe, big, uh, like the Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, Teninu, and people think that, you know, uh, the old dot coins are dead. Like, do you think Doge and Shiv are just going to dwindle down like slowly to zero and like Pepe is going to take over? Like, what do you guys think about that? I don't think the new ones can hold a candle to the Doge. I don't know. Um, we'll always get new ones. I think the the Generation 2s and Generation 3s might have a harder time. But the OGs like Doge um, will always have some status. But the, I don't know. The, the, the Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, Inu one, it, it just reaches new levels of, uh, you know, redacting. <laughs> So I have a little different take on this. So uh, the only thing I'm holding in any like real size right now is ETH um, for better or worse. And I think though, like Doge is going to have a better return if they're, you know, in the next cycle. That's just my thesis. I also think SHIB will as well. I mean, you're taking on a lot more risk, but like at the end of the day, we know what's going to happen, right? Like the playbook has been written, like BTC or ETH are going to lead, lead us out of a bear market. There's going to be new innovations, new applications built. And then eventually when the prices are high enough, people are going to start to look at Doge and SHIB and say, wait a minute, these things never pumped. They're undervalued relative to Bitcoin and ETH and these other coins and L1s that are pumping. Like, let's buy that. And that's going to be the narrative for a few weeks on Twitter. And these things are going to go absolutely crazy again. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of it. I think it's sort of silly and it distracts from what we're doing. Like all that of that energy Elon put into Doge last cycle. Uh was a huge distraction and sort of like discredits everything about crypto. But I think that's what's going to happen. You know, like I'm not going to trade on it myself, but I think, yeah, Doge is probably going to be a good play. We'll see. Yeah. I think SHIB holding to zero is aggressive. You know, if Jump was able to bail out Wormhole Bridge for 300,000 ETH and this guy is supposed to be a billionaire, I mean, he should be able to do 1,000 ETH, right? <laughs> yeah, think about all those, all those book, book deals and like those royalties. Keep keep the keep the bones coming. We'll see. We'll, see. we'll make Shaitoshi pay the iron price. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just get liquidated but, on Ape. <laughs> I, I agree with Jordy's take though that like both. Uh, so I, I feel like new generation meme coins are kind of like that euthanasia roller coaster where like it still has you know a mini pump, but it's always just like less and less. I, I think it does kind of it's a warning tale for meme projects that try to become utility as well or like have a fundamental value in having an L2. Um, yeah, they're just going to do it really terribly, I think. And it's just going to set it up for disaster is like the takeaway from this. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like what we see with Cardano, right? It's like you never, when you're kind of just a meme coin, which I think Cardano is in a lot of ways, uh, like you never want to actually execute. Like it's always better to just have the roadmap, uh, which is <laughs> really sad, right? Like when Cardano, I don't if you guys remember launched smart contracts at the peak of last cycle, huge run up. And then they realize like, oh, we can't actually execute on this. Smart contracts on Cardano are like very hard to create. There's like some technical limitations and it's just down only from there. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to continue to see those sorts of things. It's like the roadmap is always more bullish than the execution or the failed execution. I have like a 
loosely held thesis that like maybe stacks like the Bitcoin L2 can be like the Cardano of this cycle. It's like this idea around smart contracts on Bitcoin. Uh, and I think I you know like this, this promise, I, and if, especially if Bitcoin pumps into the having or pumps after the having, I can definitely see, you know, SDX, like just go crazy. It's like, oh, like L2 on Bitcoin, like what a huge total adjustable market. Like, have you guys looked into stacks at all? There's been a few uh, attempts to, you know, pump it around the ordinals time. I remember that was, uh, that was when we were getting inundated with a lot of stacks propaganda. <laughs> uh, but it seemed to die down right now. But you're right, around the halving, it might come back up. So that that's definitely uh, one to just see if um, traction starts to happen. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I think like having a very charismatic and savvy founder is one of the most important parts of the recipe for that kind of success. Yeah, I mean, Charles Hoskinson is uh, pretty high up on, on, on that list. Yeah. He's memeable. He controls the the stage. I was watching some Masari conference highlights and every video has like a hundred views. But if you go to the Charles Hoskinson one where he's got this like <laughs> massive belly and just walking around with his big, big belly, it's got like 40,000 views. So he, he, he knows how to be charismatic and, and he's built a, an army. He was talking in the ship conference and um, he talked right before the ship announcement, the major one. He was one. there? Damn. Yeah, he was there. Charles Hoskins. Also, like, um, yeah, another one of the co-founders of Ethereum was there. It was actually kind of hype. Um, but he, yeah, great storyteller. I, I actually kind of want to learn from how, how good he tells stories. It's just, you know, man's got a silver tongue. All right. Next week on the podcast, Vicky will, will do his best uh, storytelling impersonation. Maybe we can get him on as a guest. Well, you need to stop talking shit about Cardano if he's going to come on. <laughs> I mean, if he watches it, yeah. I'll be very respectful. Okay, Charles, we'll get you on. We uh, we do plan from next week to start trialing uh, guest segments as well. We'll bring on guests from projects that are active in the space right now. And instead of just asking them to you know tell us boring shit about their project, we'll try to have a conversation about uh, you know, one aspect that is maybe a bit more spicy and, um, you know, try to keep you guys awake. So that, that'll be coming from next week. Uh, we, we've seen the launch of say this week, and maybe that'll be something to talk about next week. It's, it's a little bit early now. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of it. There's a lot of tweets going around about the airdrop. Are people getting free airdrops by just like moving 10,000 into the bridge and then, you know, just milking it. No one really knows exactly what's going on. I don't know, maybe you guys have been following it. I haven't been uh, that close on it. Um, but maybe it's one to ask next week once, once, once the dust clears. Uh, and talking about dust clearing, so another big news that came out this week, we can uh, bring up the, the story from uh, the drop lawsuit, which I think many, many people in the crypto space were happy to see. Um, Thicky, you played a, a part in this as well. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, this this was a really cool story. Um, so essentially, like after the curve thing was happening, you know, we were talking about the after effects and Machi was one of the investors who, you know, invested OTC in curve really early. So I was on a spaces on Sunday um, talking about how, yeah, the first tranche of curve investors, like I said, weren't, um, you know, the most virtuous crowd. And it happened that Machi was actually listening. So he, you know, invited himself up on the stage and then he, He's, you know, I, understandably, he was like un upset by my comments. He was like, you know, kind of went off on a, on a on a rant about how, 
he really resented those comments. But um, I, I, we were able to have some cool discussion afterwards. Jordy was on the uh, spaces as well, and um, yeah, Jordy meant Jordy asked of Machi uh, if he wanted to resolve potentially resolve things in the DMs. Um, this is uh, relating to the case with Zach XPT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ended up messaging me, um, and you know, a week later. This is something that I think is great for the space because, first of all, you know, Zach XPT, regardless of the specific article, whether it's fully accurate or, you know, was not, he has been a very net positive for the space. And we don't want to just be, you know, facing North Korean hackers all the time and have nobody as a defense line. And he's kind of like the immune system. He tracks stuff down. He gives it to the authorities. Like... We need him because otherwise the proportion of crypto scammers and like, you know, um, legit people in crypto just gets out of whack. So what I have to say is that regardless of whether someone's feelings are hurt because, you know, somebody uh, called them out and maybe even made mistakes, maybe, you know, um, said something that they did wrong, maybe they didn't, who knows exactly what the truth is. And many times we don't really have a way to know because the thing with blockchain detective work is it'll get you so far, it'll show you that some transactions were made, but it doesn't show you, you know, who was exactly clicking buttons and, and what exactly they were intending to do. And you don't know whose wallets are whose because, you know, unless it's WorldCoin, there's there's no uh, physical eyeball scanning on, on the wallet. So. <laughs> Um, I think what happened in this case was, you know, Machi felt like the story, which we can, we can bring up the article, um, the story of Machi Big Brother. It's, it's been edited now. Uh, this is uh, a Medium post that came out last year that Zach wrote. And, uh, you know, in this story, one of the salacious stories, the, the main centerpiece was around Formosa Financial, which I've learned a lot about in, in, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so Formosa was a 2018 project. Now, this story initially had a title saying Jeff Wong embezzled 22,000 ETH from Formosa Financial. Like that, that was kind of uh, the claim. Um, and uh, there was, you know, reasons to think that um, basically there was a 22,000 ETH transfer out of the ICO. Like three weeks after the ICO happened, they raised all this ETH and then half of it out of the 44,000, half of it got transferred out into two wallets and the wallets just deposited it into Binance and, you know, it kind of moved around and Zach tries to do some detective work and see, you know, which devs it goes to and it goes to some Taiwanese devs. And, um, you know, the assumption was that uh, Jeff Huang, who is Machi Big Brother, was the one getting this money, uh, which he disputed and, you know, kept disputing throughout. Now, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but it's, a, it's an interesting game theory situation because, you know, if someone is personally damaged, like their reputation they feel is damaged, from a game theory perspective, like you can you can kind of fight back and go to like legal and try to dox and, you know, go, go through this thing. But you're maybe hurting the community more than you're helping yourself. And then the community is going to kind of uh, rush in and kind of attack you for, for hurting someone who is a key part of the community, regardless of whether you're right or wrong. So I sympathize with, with, with both sides, right? Um, I don't know what you guys would do in that situation. Like, what if you guys, like Justin, if you wake up one day and you see an article like, uh, Justin Bram stole 5,000 <laughs> ETH from Astaria and transferred it to his wallet, like, 
let's say it was wrong. Let's just let's just say it was wrong. What would you do? So I, yeah, it's a really interesting situation. This is like I think something we see all the time, and like obviously not just in crypto and so many different industries. And the issue is like once these allegations, true or not, are out there, people already have their opinions and their opinions are basically set. So what you can do is, you know, you post your rebuttal and I know Machi did that. And I don't think people really bought into it too much. And I don't think this lawsuit or the withdrawal of the lawsuit changes their opinion. I think this is sort of one of the things where you just have to, like, if you know you're right, you have to do your best to put the facts out there and hope that the truth is like what wins out. I'm not saying that's what happened with Machi. I don't know what the real situation is, but I think the more like, People often think like, oh, everyone's thinking about me. They care what I have to say. They care what happens with this. But like most people in Twitter, just, you know, in crypto Twitter and in crypto just totally forgot about this. And I think the lawsuit brings more attention to it that's negative. And I think withdrawing it brings more attention to it. So I think it's sort of like once these allegations are out there, there's not much you can do. You rebut the facts. And then the more attention you bring to it, the worse it is. Because I think I don't think anyone's opinion has changed substantially because Zach sued or because uh, Machi sued because he withdrew the suit because Zach updated the article. Like, I think people's conceptions about Machi are out there. I don't think, you know, addressing it is helpful for for anyone. Yeah, I think everyone takes their reputation very seriously and they do want to defend it. And I and I fully sympathize with that fact. And, uh, you know, there, there were quite a lot of changes made to the article to keep it more fact based rather than speculation, because if you're not sure exactly whose wallet this is and you see some transfers, you know, it's better to be a bit more fact-based. And I think, you know, the work Zach does, it's extremely valuable to the community. It's very hard work and it, it, it is a very thankless task. You know, uh, we've talked about it in the past where you're doing a benefit to other people, but then you're putting yourself at risk. You can get sued, you can get attacked, you can get, um, you know, swatted, like all, all kinds of uh, danger you're putting yourself into and, you know, yeah, you get some social credibility and, and all this stuff and a lot of support, which is nice, but um, there's a lot of negativity. And I mean, Taiki, you're, you're one of the good guys in, in the space. I know, you know, in the past, I, I, I've personally offered you seed round allocations and projects I was excited about. And you're like, no, like I, I keep clean. Like I don't want to, you know, cloud. I don't want to take anything. Um, so do, do you do you think it's a, it's a thankless task to, to keep such a clean... Um, rep or how do you see it for yourself yeah i mean it's all about like having values right that you like stand by um and i mean one of the reasons i don't participate in like seed rounds is that like if i'm making content and most of my audience is retail i want to be able to empathize with like i guess like what they're going through and if i'm like just getting like you know just like circle jerking like all these seed deals then you know like i feel like i'll lose the motive and like the drive to you know like be really in the trenches um and there's like the saying, right? It like it takes ten years to build a brand, and like one day to like just send it to zero. Um, and I feel like Zach is kind of like this invisible hand in the markets, at least on crypto Twitter or crypto X, whatever you want to call it, um, that kind of moderates like all the shady behavior. Um, and I guess from a game theoretical perspective, like if you don't want to deal with the potential of you know Zach writing a thread about you, it's like don't do any like shady stuff. It's good and bad because like Zach has like a lot of power, right? Like it's like if Zach writes a thread on somebody and, and like. He, even if he's wrong, like if it's out there, it gets retweeted like 10,000 times uh, and it kind of tarnishes the person's reputation. Um, so for, like for that reason, like I just like don't do anything that might even be remotely considered shady. I think that's like the best path forward. Um, of course, you know, there's like always, uh, there's like always scams and like rugs in crypto where people like just make a million dollars, like 
you know, taking money from their followers. And then in like a month, people forget about it. And then they do like another scam. Um, but I think, you know, I kind of view my platform, my brand uh, in like a long-term lens. Um, and, you know, part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast with the three of you is because I think, you know, you three are uh, really, you know, like great people um, that, you know, isn't like just there to like, you know, make money from like their followers and whatnot. So, um, you know, like, I think it's all about like having values, um, having like ha- having ethics, I suppose. Um, and I think that's something missing in crypto um, that I think will have a lot more value like in the future, uh, because I think this space is going to grow like exponentially. And how many uh, how many bull markets until Taiki becomes the villain? He's going to be the main character <laughs> in like 2030. He'll, <laughs> he'll be so... Uh, oh, hopefully not. I'm being know. sued. <laughs> like, what is, like, what? what is going on? Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's, it's obviously, um, you know, positive for both sides. I think that this got resolved. Uh, on Machi's side, he had a clear point, um, which was that, you know, in the story of Formosa Financial, and I encourage people to read the, uh, the story. It's, it's quite fascinating. There was basically, you know, um, some people came together to do, in 2018, an ICO around building a asset management, sort of like a bank, like a crypto bank, and, you know, they had all these powerful people in Taiwan helping and, and building pieces. And then things went wrong because very early on, the team seemed to not get along and some people broke ways. And I think that was kind of why ETH was transferred around. Like some people got out, they got their money back, you know, the shares were resold. It's kind of unclear exactly what happened. Nobody knows. I think Machi's point was that he was not on the multisig of the wallet that was transferring the ETH. So his main defense, which I think was, was quite a strong defense, was that he couldn't be embezzling ETH if he's not even in control of the multisig, like somebody else is moving stuff around. Um, you know, from Zach's side, he, he sees a lot of other projects that, uh, in his opinion, were kind of colorful or, uh, you know, didn't work out. And on the one hand, you could say that was ICO days and a lot of the shit was happening. Um, it reminds me a bit of, uh, you know, how the ethical standards change over time. Like 10 years ago, there were a bunch of words that we were saying every day. And now, like, if you say them, you get canceled. I'm, I'm not going to give any examples. Um, <laughs> but even like in uh, in poker, right? Like certain things, you know, were okay to do. And, and then they, they start becoming like you can't play at the same table with someone you know, because now it's so these the, the standards change. Um, I think uh, this is this is a big win for everybody. We can move on and, and hopefully Zach can keep doing his work and we can keep, uh, you know, defending him when um, when things go wrong switching on to like a different topic if you guys are good with it like i think this topic uh, has been on my mind for like the past few weeks and i think you know crypto um people don't like talking about like burning out mental health and whatnot but i think it's something that we all deal with um it's just like something that we don't really admit to but um, i think this panel is pretty interesting because like i do content i do research justin's a builder Thicky trades all the time, and then Jordy's a market maker. Um, and I think we all deal with, you know, just this general idea of like burning out, like just being tired, right? Because not much is happening in the markets, like prices are going like down, up, whatever. Uh, like random meme coins are pumping. Um, do you have like any, like, what, what steps do you guys take to like not burn out, right? Um, like, do you do something with, uh, how, how, like, how, how do you separate a crypto life and like personal life? Because that's something I personally deal with. Um, and I'm trying to get better at like, how about, like, let's get started with like uh, Thicky first. Like what, how, how do you deal with um, just being engaged all the time? Yeah, I think it's tough because like, especially in crypto, like you pretty much have to be pouring your entire life into what you're doing. If you want to be competitive with everyone else, especially I think um, yeah, for trading. Um, so like 
for me, like I, I tend to get burned out when I put a bunch of effort in it, I spend a bunch of time, I sacrifice a bunch of sleep and the outcome isn't what I want it to be. Um, it, it is, it gets kind of demoralizing. And I, I think like for me, um, sort of focusing on like the other parts of my life that I am grateful for really help. So for me, that might be spending time with my family or spending time with my girlfriend or spending time with like some of my friends that don't know anything about crypto and going outside and just like remembering that like, even if this all fails, like life's still pretty good. Um, it, it helps me like, you know, get back on my feet and uh, try again tomorrow. Yeah. Cause like, you know, when the curve situation was happening, everyone was panicking, but you know, like my girlfriend, like my friends, like, you know, they don't know a thing about Michael Igorov and his Australian mansions, right? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, just, I think having non-crypto friends is really important. Uh, how about you, Justin? I think we talked about this. Uh, a couple of times before, like, how do you yeah. deal with like just being a builder in this space? Yeah, I think I have a little different experience. So for me, 2022, when prices were actually going down the whole year was a lot easier than 2023. Um, it seemed like there was more, you know, excitement and interest in 2022. Um, people were still like very engaged. Whereas with 2023, this year, um, price has actually gone up. But I would say like interest has waned drastically. So like there's less exciting stuff happening. I mean, you can just look at our topics from the past four episodes and like most of the things we talk about are pretty negative, right? So like there's like a ton of negative sentiment. There's a ton of bad things happening in the space. And this is sort of like the crypto is dead year, right? Last year was the year of like, oh my God, everything's going to zero. The real economy is going to zero. Crypto is going to zero. Everyone was freaking out, but there was a lot to talk about. People were still like excited about building projects. were still doing a little bit of fundraising at the start of last year. Whereas this year, right? Like there's no VC capital, like people that are companies that are trying to raise are not able to. Um, there's like very few new innovative things launching. And then everyone in the real world is just asking you like, wait, you're still in crypto. Like I thought crypto's dead. Like what happened? Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, for me, I don't worry about too much about the price. I just hold ETH, which is nice. So I don't have to think too much about it. I was like fortunate enough to allocate quite a bit over late 2022 and early 2023. Um, and now I'm just sort of holding it and waiting and not worrying too much about price. But I would say the vibes are definitely the, the toughest part is just that, um, you know, like, what are we doing here? Is there any there there? Like, what's crypto all about? And where is it going to be in the next few years? I think this is the year where all of that gets questioned. And that makes it tough. Yeah, it kind of feels like like a vibe session where prices are generally higher, but the vibes are like, just down only. Yeah. Um, whenever I tell people, like, I'm in crypto, it's like, oh, like, but isn't AI hotter? Like, that, like that's what I, like all my friends tell me. And I'm like, no, like, I still believe in yada, yada, yada. But like trying to explain like the value props of crypto, I think it's becoming harder and harder every month. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it was a crazy roller coaster for me because uh, when I got in this space through, or like through mid twenty twenty two, you would say at a bar to someone that you're in crypto, and everyone would be excited and have a million questions. Now you're embarrassed to say it at the bar, right? Like if someone's like, "Oh, what do you do?" and you're like, "I work." Now it's like I work in software, <laughs> SaaS company. Um, so yeah, it's tough. What about you, Jordy? Are you uh, like? does this bother you at all? I mean, you seem like such a, a stoic figure to me that um, it doesn't get to you, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't mind. I don't mind the market situation. It is a bit annoying having low volumes as a market maker. Like you do, you do see the, the ebbs and flows in, in the volume every day. And, you know, we've seen like GSR, we've seen some of the headlines recently. We can, we can look at some of the headlines that we've seen um, 
about some of the other market makers and, and how they're struggling. Um, for me personally, I think there's so many lessons that we've learned from, from the last cycle and I'm still digesting them. And it's so philosophically interesting to think like, what is crypto going to be? Where is it going to go from here? And um, I've gotten involved with Mantle because I want to be a little bit on the builder side, not on the builder side, but on the product side to understand, you know, I don't, I don't want to just criticize and talk shit about, uh, you know, Olympus or this guy's and they're doing this wrong and Luna's the Ponzi and all this stuff. I, I want to be able to say that, okay, I understand what it is to actually try to build a, a product for, for the masses to use, like a crypto product that is useful for people that, you know, they can manage their financial lives with and doesn't rug them. Um, so, you know, I'm extremely, I'm the busiest I've ever been and I've been very really busy in the past. Um, I don't even have a lot of time to do a lot of macro trading that I, you know, used to be my specialty for years, you know, like I've been a macro trader, uh, for, for crypto. And even when I was in crypto during the bull market, I would still be, you know, trading macro. And now there's, there's so much going on, uh, within the space, even though it looks dead, but, but behind the scenes, like, uh, there's, there's a lot going on. I would say first there's a, on the market maker side, there's a, there's a push for market share right now. You have Alameda out the way, you have some of the big guys out the way. And, um, some of the firms are doing better, right? Selene is doing really well, thankfully, um, with, you know, Wintermute and GSR, everyone is, uh, trying to see if they're going to survive or not. And, and the best will, and, um, you know, the other ones might not. And yeah, on the L2 side, like being a part of the L2 wars, we can talk about it in future episodes, but it is exciting to be a part of the L2 wars. Like, you know, you see the metrics of base and base is doing really well. And it's exciting. It's just, just to kind of have a foot in there. Um, so yeah, mentally, like in terms of struggle, not getting enough sleep is, is the only thing that, that kills me. Um, so I, I try to somehow force the sleep in. That's, that's, that's the one thing. The TLDR is that Jordy is a, doesn't burn out. <laughs> Jordy goes hard, dude. Jordy goes hard. <laughs> he goes harder than our twenty-something-year-olds. Jordy's always awake. I like DM him like like four a.m. his time. He replies instantly. I DM him like you know seven a.m. his time. He replies instantly. He's, like, he's just always awake. Do you think like power naps, Jordy? Like how how do you? No, no. I can't take naps anymore. Um, I think catch up a bit on the weekend, but. Yeah, it's nonstop. I, I view this as a sacrifice of, you know, some years of my life and hopefully achieve, uh, achieve a lot during this time. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take it easy in my, uh, the, the latter part of, uh, of, 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 uh, my life. Um, What's crazy is that your skin looks great. You know, like you look, <laughs> oh, I don't understand. It doesn't look like you're going to get three hours of sleep or five hours of sleep a night. It's the it's the Mediterranean weather right now. We'll uh, we'll see we'll see if it lasts through the year. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, did you see? Have you guys seen the uh, the market makers tuffles? I mean, we, we've seen you know DWF we talked about last time. That was a great segment. Uh, I think we got some nice memes out of it. Um, but uh, the one interesting thing was Wintermute uh, is uh, you know the, Evgeny he's he's a board member on the block, and then the block starts like releasing these stories about. GSR, which was interesting. Um, I don't know if you can find oh, some of the tweets there, but there was a little bit of drama. Yeah, I didn't know Evgeny was a board member, I guess. Yeah. I feel like the blocks lost some credibility. I think there was like the some drama around like its former founder taking money or something. I, I forget the exact 
he took money from SBF, so it was it was the worst uh, kind of money. Yeah, it's so hard to blame him for that, though. I mean, you you just don't know, right? Like no one knew. You know, Congress didn't know that he was a scammer. This is true, but as a media organization, you're not supposed to buy uh, you know houses with the money from someone that you're covering. It's it's kind of like rule number one. So I did not realize <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> it, it is what happened. It was extremely bad. To the credit of of the block, the people who were not that guy, like the rest of them, were pretty incensed that that this happened, and you know immediately took a took a side against uh, against him, and then he resigned and all this stuff. But yeah, like now, if you see like every story has uh, at the bottom, it says um, you know disclosure. Evgeny is on is on the, is on is on the board. <laughs> so, um, this our story was quite negative. I don't know who read it, like. For me, being in the space, it's a lot of popcorn. You know, you, you look at the stuff and it's like all the COOs leaving and the head of trading and the other head of trading and then the other head of trading. And there's like being like eight heads of trading. Um, you know, was it objective? I don't know. Uh, we saw the, the GSR founder saying that this is standard bull market, bear market stuff. And to be fair, we have seen it with a lot of the exchanges. Like they hire 3,000 people and then we go back to 1,000 and they're on the shirts of Manchester city and like every football team you can think of. And uh, <laughs> we still have the formula one stuff, surprisingly, um, except for Mercedes who had FTX, but the other ones, I think the Washington national stadium, like the baseball team, they still have like Luna <laughs> to like tear up like, advertisements. I'm like, they're like, Oh, why is that still up? <laughs> but yeah, like lots of marketing spend going down the drain there. Uh, one, one quick question for Jordy, like, like obviously like GSR, like maybe they're, like allocating less time to market making, like what do you think the implications are like are for like the crypto markets? Are things are like are things gonna be like less liquid, or do you think so? Like other market makers will like just plug in the holes and like not not much is gonna change. You know, there's there's a lot we can talk about. The reality is a lot of these firms are not actually market makers. They're um, like a firm like GSR is not a real market maker. They don't actually trade. They're more of a um, investment bank. The background of it is East Goldman Sachs, and they are more of kind of trying to give some white glove services to uh, institutions and foundations and stuff like that, um, as opposed to you know from like Jump, who who is like a legitimate trading firm, um, and you know they have the firepower, like they're, they're one of the biggest in the world in, in quantitative trading, regardless of of markets. So obviously, like they're legit. Um, so you have two types of firms. You have like the DWF, uh, GSR types, which. They're more of BD. They're trying to do business development. They they come and you know they're market making in the sense of they'll take your tokens and they'll they'll try to put them on the book and not lose money. Um, and then you have like real trading firms, like real market makers who actually provide liquidity, like like Jump, let's say Tower is is another big one. I don't think that the liquidity is suffering because of you know GSR. They're, they they don't matter at all. It, it's it's irrelevant. Okay. The firms that matter for that are you know large ones like tower if they have an issue um you'll 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 see the difference um uh, maybe jane street firm like that it is interesting we coincide in the crypto community i, I can sympathize with everybody else who's watching because you see these big market making firms and evgeny talks about it we'll look at it at the end but it seems like this big boogeyman thing where you know they're these shadowy firms and they have their algorithms and what are they doing and, and people think that they're, they're just printing money and pumping and dumping stuff and you know some of them, like we discussed last week, last week maybe are, <laughs> are explicitly doing it. Um, but there's there's a lot that are just, you know, trying to make some algorithm buy and sell without losing money. And uh, so we saw before the GSR announcement or article came out, 
I think like all like tons of altcoins just dumped like five or so percent BTC and ETH were like fairly flat at the time. There was then the GSR news came out and then there was speculation on Twitter that this was GSR like exiting all of their positions. Is there any truth to that? Is it just a coincidence or what happened? So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't look like a GSR thing because the only things that they can dump are their venture book. It's not like they have tokens that they can dump otherwise because they're market making tokens. They have to like return them with their loans. So unless they're dumping their venture book uh, because they're in really bad shape, it looks more like a Voyager kind of thing where, you know, we have one of these bankruptcies and there's some OTC. So what happens is like all of the assets under Voyager get bundled together and people just get dollars back. So somebody has to take all the assets and dump them, turn them into dollars and give them back to people. That's kind of what it looks like on the outside to me. But maybe by the time this thing comes out, we'll have learned it is GSR and they're bankrupt or something. But I don't think so. That's not what I... Yeah. Tori, as far as you know, like GSR doesn't run like a big sort of stat or relative value or alt book, do they? No, definitely not. Zero chance. That is not uh, something that they do. Yeah. Um, the only ones that would do something like that are from like Jane Street. Gotcha. I mean, it does kind of look like, I, I, with your Voyager comment, like I, I thought that was plausible, but like ETHBTC has been doing pretty well. And like, I, if I remember correctly, Voyager is like kind of overweight ETH. So if it were Voyager, I'd expect ETH to sell off more than BTC. There was some speculation, though, that people would, if you're in the position of liquidating a bunch of assets, you would start with the long tail and not even dump the BTC ETH. Because if mm -hmm. you dump those as well, you'll just wreck the whole market. So you yeah. keep the majors uh, last. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> there was some speculation about that. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 I, I still think, like, we saw this interesting market behavior in Robinhood where, like, we saw the alt stump. And then the majors dumped. And then on that major stump, like the alts like were actually moving up or they weren't moving at all. Like it, it almost feels like maybe some stat arbor would like hit inventory capacity and they're like, ah, we, we, we can't afford to, you know, move the alts down anymore. So we'll just let the majors dump and the alts don't do anything else. Like we, we saw a little bit of that behavior last night, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, we have to keep uh, keep an eye on this move. We've obviously had flat markets for, for a couple of weeks where literally nothing was happening. And unfortunately, the first move we got was down. Um, so keeping an eye on it, I'm, I'm still pretty optimistic. Uh, Justin said, yeah, like this year is a, is a rough year, but you know, 2024, we're going to have hopefully ETF and Bitcoin halvening and, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we're going to make it. So, uh, let's see. Wag me, wag me. Yeah. Wag me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with that, let's go to our new segment. So obviously we've been trialing the DGEN of the week and I'm bullish on this week. We've been trialing different things and this week we have a fun one for you guys. It's uh, pasta of the week. So uh, hopefully we have some nice graphics up there and uh, in line with the crypto Twitter um, lore, we will be reading some amazing tweets and hopefully in the, in the future we can uh, copy pasta them without people knowing what we're referring to. And uh... <laughs> we're, we're going to do this first. Yeah. So let me uh, to, to give some background. Um, you know, I think if you've been using on-chain like DeFi uh, and like L2s in general, like ZK Sync, uh, you know, like all these L2s with little like actual value, um, people are like just airdrop farming and whatnot. Um, it's been full of rugs, right? Like developers is like fork like pancake swap and like Ave and like this rug the assets. And then uh, this is on the 14th, uh, this, this Dex on the base chain was like, okay, like 
the, the team is, you know, we shut down the farm to prevent further damage. We lost some assets, but the decks, the decks itself is not affected in any way. Don't worry. We are very sorry for your loss. Um, and I, I, I love like the very last line, like we are very sorry for your loss. It kind of sounds like, you know, it's not like someone died, right? Like we're like very sorry for your loss. Um, and then, you know, like this, the devs are like, you know what, like it doesn't really matter. Um, and I'm sure like the tokens like nuking, I'm, I'm not even sure if they have a token, but, um, I just feel like I see this pasta every single week, like some random L2 decks just like rugging um, and then like blaming some complicated thing that uh, who knows, like maybe it's like an inside job. So um, this is like my pasta of the week, like L2 decks is just like constantly rugging its users. I like that. Uh, since I don't have a pasta this week, I'll, I'm going to be the judge of these. I'm going to this one a seven out of 10. I, I really like the last line. <laughs> I like the last line because it's like, it's very much just like, we're not going to pay back. You know, that, that's essentially what it says. Like, sorry, guys. Yeah, it's transferring the blame to uh, to someone else. Basically, it's like yeah. mistakes were made with the wallet I controlled. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I was a bit lazy this week, so I don't have a pasta, unfortunately. But you know, Alex, I I, I did want to tell you something else. So I think you need to stop blaming others for your degeneracy because you're such a degenerate. <laughs> you know, you need to understand what real market makers are doing for a living. And dude, like, just get control of your life for a change, okay? If, or if you're going to be a docile person, I don't care because we make money off docile people. So unfortunately, I don't have a pasta, but I just wanted to uh, to give you my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I needed that. Thanks, Jordy. So yeah, this uh, this beautiful uh, tweet here, um, I will be using this. Thank you, Evgeny. This will go into my, uh, my copy pasta pocket for, for future use. I think it's epic. Uh, I encourage everybody to read this thread. Yeah, this was super funny because uh, Evgeny is like such a composed person in my experience. Wintermute invested in Astaria and, you know, I've spoken to him once or twice and also just followed along his Twitter. And he's normally, you know, just like extremely even keel, flat, very composed. And then this thread is just hilarious. It's absolutely a must read. Yeah, I think what happened is uh, Hasaka, you know, uh, went after him for trying to borrow rent-free, like uh, interest rate-free from, from Yearn. Uh, I think they wanted to borrow two, two million worth of Yearn and not pay anything. Um, so he got some pushback and, you know, this was his thread to, to battle. He, he said he woke up and chose violence. So um, it was entertaining. There was like a background where like Asako was, I think he was just kind of clowning that like Optimism couldn't pump because Wintermute was one of the lead market makers on it. So it was kind of just implying that like, oh yeah, these guys will just sell any rip. And I, I think for the people that like understand how things work, like it's obviously a joke, but like for a lot of people that don't, because obviously Sock has like a huge following, they're like, oh, wow, you know, if Wintermute's market making, like we shouldn't buy this coin because it can't rip. And I, I think it does affect their business of, you know, being the lead market maker and getting these token deals. It's like, oh, if people think that Wintermute are going to sell all the rips, then like, why would we use them? I'll just put it out there. Wintermute, the coins that they've market made have done phenomenal, it seemingly uh, initially at launch for the first few weeks. Like Evgeny said, they are neither able to pump or dump stuff. It is it is the market that chooses. So how about you, Justin? Yeah, so I had to do a quick pivot on the, on the show because we used my tweet earlier for the Shibarium segment. Uh, but we've seen a lot of segments on Twitter about NFTs being completely worthless and dead. There's certainly some truth to that. Um, so this tweet I thought was hilarious. Uh, narrator, all the <laughs> NFTs ended up being worthless. And then if you're listening, I'll try to explain there's basically just an order of how bad nft projects are down relative to eth so this is not in us dollar terms 
We have at the top Art Gobblers, which was a paradigm project, I believe, down 99.34% against ETH, which is amazing, uh, all the way down to Milady, which is only down about 16% against ETH. So it's been a wild ride in the NFT space. Uh, it seemed like NFTs were sort of like immune from the 2022 crash, and now in 2023, they're really feeling the pain now. So uh, we'll see. But like the narrative right now on Twitter is that the NFT market, specifically the PFP market, is all headed to zero. And we're seeing that with apes. Uh, punks are doing okay and and whatnot. So yeah, pretty crazy times out there. Justin, I want to get your thoughts on this is because you're like, you know, the expert on NFTs. Like, I, I why do you think um, this has happened? Why have NFTs been down only? Like my, my pet theory is that like the incentive structure for these projects is just very front loaded. So there's no incentive to stay around, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on why, you know, the charts look like this, why there hasn't been a single project that's like maintained or added value in this market. Yeah. So I think Kobe sort of said it best. I don't know if you guys heard, I think he said it on up only, or maybe it was just a Twitter thread that, um, uh, he was talking about NFTs in the state that they were at at the time that he said, uh, NFTs are just altcoins with pictures. And I think that's very much true for where the market is today, uh, which is like to like, I agree. It's not that exciting, right? Like a lot of these projects simply have nothing going for them, except for that there's like a picture attached to the coin. And so I think there we're seeing like a repricing of what that actually means and what it's worth. I do think like crypto punks are here to stay and they'll be around and they'll have value. I think it's possible board apes have value in the future, but like 99% of these projects, just like 99% of meme coins, I think will head to zero. And personally, like what I'm excited about and what I think will pull us out of this is just like innovations in the ERC 721 space, which is what an NFT is beyond art. And so I think more and more financial positions will be represented by NFTs just because um, like what we saw with Uniswap V3, right? Like it doesn't make sense to have all financial products be fungible and have like users compete in a fungible way. It actually makes sense for them to be non-fungible where everyone can have like a unique financial position and compete in the market. And so I think NFTs as a class are just getting started. But I do think like the PFP slash art space is going to just be like a very small segment of that going forward. That's my hunch. Uh, that's probably like a middle curve take. I think like the low IQ take and the high IQ take of like pictures are good might hold, right? So I think NFTs are not dead. We're certainly going to see a resurgence, but we'll see how it all plays out. What do you think, Taiki? I know you're pretty into that. Not not into NFTs, but you're very much on chain and following along. So, like, what what do you think? Are these NFTs PFPs dead? Is are they going to have a resurgence? Yeah, I, I feel like NFTs pump after like the majors pump. So, like when people feel wealthier, uh, maybe they want to show off their wealth like by boarding, like buying board apes and stuff. Um, I, I am super excited. Right? Like, I, I feel like DeFi and NFTs should converge at some point. Um, we started to see this like with Unity three. There's like a new stablecoin project called Dyad, which like represents like collab like ETH collateral as NFTs, um, and I, like I know like you bought those NFTs um, like from Dyad, uh, so I'm excited to see like that part like do well. Um, but you know like when it comes to like PFPs, yeah, I, I think you know they're still gonna like slowly bleed. Um, I'm like I've been short board apes <laughs> on like these perp platforms for like for, like the last couple of months. Um, and, yeah, I remember that in episode yeah, yeah. one. That was your DGen play in episode one, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still keeping that. You know, like I'm just collecting the funding. 
Um, I'm shorting board apes. Like I, I don't really see board apes pumping anytime soon, so you can like just short it. What do you guys think about D gods? I'm not like super deep into this stuff, but I was seeing a lot of um, discussion around you know this downgrade they did, and then the price doesn't seem to be doing very well. Um, Justin, have you been? Is that another down only or? Uh... Yeah, I was, I mean, I always think it's just sort of follows the trend of the rest of the space is like, you know, these things all might have like pumps along the way of going down. But I think uh, only a few of these like larger PFP projects will make it. Um, so I haven't followed that too closely. Was it Machi that bought a, a ton of them in it from the Blur bidding pool? Yeah, I think he was airdrop farming. And I think he owns like one of every 10 D gods or something. Or I mean, I, I, I can't confirm, but I think I saw that. Like he's just setting bids. And people are just dumping into his bids and like, you know, he's going to sell at some point, right? So he's going to take, take a loss and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like this blur bidding spiral. Uh, yeah, that man has a crazy risk appetite to just be like the floor buyer of apes and now to gods. It's, it's nuts. I, I couldn't imagine doing that, but uh, he's got conviction, right? So, or at least he thinks he can trade. He likes the tokens. What can we say? Altcoins with pictures. Chef Thicky, who which pasta of the week do you want to try? I'll pick I'll pick Jody's just because of uh, a personal and like uh, yeah that Anthony we was <laughs> I I I found on him later that week I, I guess amongst like our circles we know that like you know when Wintermute's market making or when market makers have a large supply of token in general it's pretty much just down only so it's just like yeah there's definitely not. A pump aspect just up um but yeah i, I think i'm going to start calling people docile and uh, not serious people from now on too after this <laughs> lots of new pastas to be consumed from now on <laughs> let us know what you guys think of the new segment uh or which one of, of our closing segments you like the most um so we can we can do those ones more often and yeah thanks thanks for joining and see you next week bye everyone.